Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Steeler. Fury. This is your Pittsburgh Steeler Show on the Steeler Fury Podcast. I am your host, Bradshaw Ben, a.k.a. Accidental Zen, a.k.a. Will Massasek, uh, a.k.a. the guy who's really enjoying Steelers football right now. The last five weeks have been kind of amazing. With me, as always, uh, are my uh, studious cohorts, always here uh, and always curmudgeonly from somewhere in Pittsburgh, Suburban Zone 22. I actually looked at Suburban Zone 22, and it is possible that you are on the fringes. His name is Steel Perch. He's here. How are you, sir? Those are all lies. All lies. I'm nowhere near Suburban Zone 22. <laughs> and, as always, with us from somewhere in the south. I think it's the south. It's a little cold down there. Uh, his name is FC. He's with us. How are you, sir? I'm building another fucking boat. We've gotten like four inches of rain here today. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna need we're gonna need a bigger boat. That's what you're trying to say. That is a correct statement. Well, considering the performance the Steelers put up on Thursday night against Carolina Panthers, near perfect. But I'm guessing you guys could find something critical to say about it. I'll throw it to UFC. Uh, what would your critique be? I hope James uh, Connor really didn't get a concussion. <laughs> I can't think of anything else. No, not there. There, there wasn't a ton to be critical of the first drive, but on defense. But other than that, you know, they seem to straighten it out. It would be nice to co- cover Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield. Yeah. yeah, in fair, in fairness, you know, on that play, Vince Williams had to make a split second decision whether to go under or over that. Uh, we'll call it a rub route, and you know, either choice he made was bad. I think that's just. Mostly good play design just to, uh, on the offense's part. But, but you're right. There was some stuff to clean up there. I don't know. I mean, I didn't expect you to really come up with something critical. But okay, man, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Perch, how about you? What was your takeaway? Yeah, I mean, that first drive is kind of a could have been a tone setter, I, I should say. Just uh, I think the, the Juju play right after that and then the Vince William play right after that kind of put the game on the right course. But really couldn't stop McCaffrey out of the backfield. That was, you know, what we worried about going into that game was was really, you know, if Carolina could find a way to get, you know, really the quickest running back in the league uh, matched up with our linebackers. And they were able to take advantage of it a few times. McCaffrey ended up with three touchdowns, and two of those, the linebackers either got, you know, just flat-out beat or confused and missed assignments, and, and he was left open. But Aside from that, you know, it was an ass whooping, and, and when McCaffrey had the pass block, you know, that was the big fear. I mean, I was a big fan of his coming into the league, and 
that was the fear was, hey, this guy's built like a receiver and he plays like one. And what happens when he has to pass block? And when he had to pass block, the Steelers inside linebackers beat the shit out of him. You know, it was, uh, it was something else. So uh, you've got to, you know, deal with, uh, deal with guarding a guy like that out of the, or covering a guy like that out of the backfield. And, and whenever he's left into pass block, you got to make a pay. And they did. So, um, yeah, other than that, you know, Boswell made all his kicks. Uh, ben didn't turn over. Nobody got hurt. You know, Connor had a little uh, concussion or whatever, but uh, it sounds like everybody came out of that game pretty pretty healthy. It could have been a lot worse, let's put it that way. Um, so, oh, we clubbed them like a baby seal. <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, apologies to all the baby seal defenders out there in the world. How about um, this? We clubbed them like a <laughs> Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> oh, oh, I forgot. That happened as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, Le'Veon I'll Bell uh, decided he didn't want to be Fuck here. Him. The end. <laughs> All right, well, we get, one last, we get one last chance to talk about him. Um, I don't know. Uh, Perch, what's your, you know, it's the end of the, the Le'Veon Bell era, apparently, in Pittsburgh. Although, you know, maybe you'll have like a Plaxico Burris late career, uh, you know, uh, cup of tea with the Steelers. But uh, other than that, it sounds like it's done. What'd you make of that situation? Now we'll give you our final word on it. I, I think it's far from done. And I'll tell you why. I think that oh, wow. Kevin Colbert and the Rooney family slap him with the tranny. They're going to hit him with the transition. Tank. I think they're going to, too. <laughs> For the simple fact that this, this asshole decided that he was going to try and strong-arm the league. He's going out to be a martyr. and He's going to show all the NFL owners and executives that he has more power than they do. And you, it, it, he and his agent are going on TV saying, you know, the, the franchise tag is outdated and we're going to show people you can't use it anymore. Fine. Slap him with the transition tag. And you know what? Nobody's going to offer him. None of the other GMs in the league, I don't believe, are really going to offer him significantly more money than Pittsburgh already did in the last contract. They've got that $14.5 million. They're rolling it into 2019. They can then match whatever deal he gets and then trade his ass to where they want him to go and get more than the third-round compensatory pick that they'd get in 2020. So to me, that's what I would do. They're going to slap him with the transition tag, whatever offer sheet he signs, match it. He's now your property, and then go out and shop him for a second-round pick, and the Steelers come out smelling like roses. They completely showed every other you know, free agent or, or uh, franchise tag player in the league, you can't, beat, you can't beat the game. You know what? It's in your best interest to deal with the teams. I think the other, I'm not going to say collusion, I think the other owners around the league are going to look at that and say, you know what, let's make an example out of this guy. <laughs> it's a good old boys club. There's only 32 owners in the NFL. They know it's in their own best interest to knock this puppy on the head and, and show him his boss. I think it's going to happen. I think this is transition tag him, match whatever offer he gets, and then deal him to an NFC team, send him to some shit-ass team he doesn't want to go to, just, just to show him, you know? Man, we, we knocked this puppy on the head, we beat a baby seal, and we hit him with a tranny. It's all just does like the first five minutes of the show. <laughs> FC, did you happen, did you happen to <laughs> did you happen to catch? Oh uh, yeah, slap him with a tranny. Yeah, even better. Uh, FC, did you happen to catch uh, the clip of the Steelers players uh, responding to the announcement that Le'Veon Bell wasn't going to show with um, raiding his locker? Yes, fighting for <laughs> shoes, stuff like that. How about this? Um, this is my little take on this. I agree with uh, with everything Perch said, but. 
I'm going to take it a step further. Um, <clears throat> I believe the NFL, the NFL ownership has 100% colluded against Eric Reed to a point and definitely against Colin Kaepernick. I don't know if it's necessarily collusion in the sense, but you're never going to be able to prove collusion. Never going to be able to prove it. Um, and I believe the NFL owners are going to collude against Le'Veon Bell, just like they did against Colin Kaepernick. Now, is somebody going to sign him? Eh, maybe. We'll see. Is someone going to sign him to what he thinks they're going to sign him to? Fuck no. Um, he's going to get his comeuppance. Um, Perch hit the nail on the head. It's, it's a 32-boy network. You can say it's all white guys. That's fine. It's, it, that, that, that would be factually correct. But uh, really not, not because Khan understands, and that's my whole point. Um, I don't believe that the, uh, the, the, Bell's agent is spinning this into a social justice, a justice, and it, it, it's not. I really, and I believe that the NFL owners are going to be very insulted by that, and, you know, um, it, it's been through the courts. Tom Brady found it out. Terrell Owens has found it out. Um, playing in the NFL is a privilege. It's not a right. And um, they have that antitrust exemption in their back pocket, which they're not really going to ever lose. They have the tax thing, which they lost, but they're not going to lose their antitrust. Never will. The, 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 the NFL owners own senators. Let's be honest. They're 32 of the richest men in this country. Um, it's it's a disgusting thing. Um, I think Le'Veon Bell was very, very misrepresented horribly. And uh, the last thing I would have to say is, Le'Veon, if you're listening to this, I got some great pot. Let's get high. <laughs> well, can't really argue with anything you said. I, I just feel like, uh, you know, to add my two cents with, the thing is he'll never recoup the money. So, I, you know, I guess if he's trying to prove a point and become Kurt Flood, uh, like, it's it's not as if he's fighting for free agency. He, he's, Reggie White already became Kurt Flood in 1993. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying it's like it's not even yeah. really the same sort of barrier. Like, it's a sure. very muddled picture of what it is that he's trying to accomplish, even on a sort of a, you know, uh, selfless level. If he's trying to do something bigger than himself, I, I guess I would have more admiration for that if I understood it. Like it just doesn't sure. make any sense to me, and I don't think he'll ever... He's he'll not never Muhammad Ali money. not going to war, he, and I'm not standing up one way or the other for Muhammad Ali. It's, it, he's not making... He's not, you know, taking a step like Rosie Greer, or a great example would be Kurt Flood. You know, he, he, it's not the ABA versus the NBA. This, the young man was offered $14.3 million to play a game. Over a million dollars a game, he basically was making. nine hundred grand. That's ridiculous. Well, I mean, it's even more than that, though. I mean, to me, what the thing really goes back to, he was even advised by his agent, who I don't think much of at all, oh, to accept terrible. the deal two years ago where they were offering him over $12 million a year. He turned that down. Which was, At that time, the highest paid running back in the league was making eight. So everybody's saying, oh, the Steelers are so cheap. The Steelers haven't offered him any. Blah, blah, blah. The Steelers offered him to make him the highest paid back in the league two years ago. This year, they upped it. They went up to four. He said, hey, if I'm a franchise tag for 14, I need at least 14, but I want 17. And the Steelers came up. The, the deal he would have signed, he would have made $45 million in the first three years of that deal, $15 million a year, okay, and he turned that down. What exactly is he looking for? It, it, you know, and then when you look at what Todd Gurley, who's younger, better, doesn't have the injury history, doesn't have the weed suspension history, what team in their right mind would pay this guy more than what Gurley just got? 
Nobody. You know, well, they, you well, know, they, they have, have to account for the teams that aren't. You have, but you have to account for the teams that aren't in their right mind, of which there are a couple. Yeah, I mean, like a Jets or a Raider. That's basically what he's holding out hope for. But those teams are awful. So if you really want to go, and he's made little jokes on social media before about playing for the Jets. Like, hell no, I'm not. Wouldn't go to the Jets or something like that. But that's pretty much who he's left with. Look at the teams in the league who have Raiders and the Jets. Yeah, these are his options. Look at the teams who have a really good running back. Look at the teams who have a young running back that they just drafted. Look at the teams who maybe have a need for running back. And look at the teams who have a need for running back and also a lot of cap space. You're down to about the Jets and Raiders. It, they would be dumb enough to give him what he wanted. And they're both train wrecks. They're awful. So, you know, and even the Raiders, I mean, even the Raiders, I, me personally, I'm taking an, uh, a fresh Chris Warren and Jalen Richard and – you know, rotating like if I bring Bell in there, I don't know how much better that makes me. 2019 Bell, you know, 2014 Bell, of course. But 2019 Bell, how many wins does that add to Oakland? It doesn't really add any wins. The only reason to sign him is is as a sort of a you know statement to the fans of like, well, okay, we're committed to winning. But then, you'd, if you're ownership there, you'd have to be out of your mind to sign a guy like Le'Veon Bell and put him in Las Vegas. I mean, come on, that's like the worst match I've ever heard of. Um, and I don't see Woody Johnson spending that type of money or going along with that type of – he doesn't need the, the distractions, especially in New York. No, Perch, before you say what you're going to say, the other thing I would say is it wouldn't surprise me if Le'Veon Bell signs a spite deal with, with Baltimore or New England or somebody like that. You know, that, that might be a more that, likely outcome. Go ahead. I think that would, that would greatly surprise me because uh, if anything's become apparently clear – it's all about two things. One, the money, and two, Le'Veon. So, yeah, he's a, he's a very uh, arrogant, selfish guy. and That's just who he is, and he's in it for the money. He wants to get the maximum. He doesn't care about – he could have came back to these last six games, been a backup to James Conner, saved his body, not gotten hurt, and then went all out in the playoffs to try and help the team win a Super Bowl. And then he could have still gone out and been a free agent. He didn't choose to do any of that because the most important thing to him is his money. I also, we talked about collusion a little bit, but the thing I've been wondering all along is, has his agent maybe had discussions with another team? Another team said, hey, we'll pay Lazy on that $17 million a year. Just don't have him get hurt this year. And maybe that's kind of fed him into, hey, I already know I have this deal. I know where I'm going to go to help him go into Pittsburgh this year. I I wonder if something like that possibly happened too. I, I mean, maybe. I just feel like, you know, the economics of it just don't make any sense. As a PR move, it makes the most sense for some other team. We're committed to winning, you know, et cetera. But otherwise, it's like, man, sign, sign a guy in the draft. You know, use a draft pick uh, for a cheap running back for a couple of years. It's a stud talent if that's what you want to add to your team, if that's the piece you think you're missing, and you're going to wait till next year anyway to get it, right? It's one thing. If you need it this year, you might be willing to overpay. But for, you know, almost any team that, desperately needs that piece, they're going to have a draft pick in this in the area where you could get a guy like that. You know, you could get a similar talent. I, I don't know. It's like, unless you think Le'Veon Bell is just this outlier talent that's way different than anybody else in the NFL, which I think is pretty clear that he's not, especially at this point. Who knows what you're getting after a year off? It, just, none, it doesn't make sense for anybody to do it. Like, it, it, I mean, like I said, I'm less surprised. I'll be less surprised if uh, he doesn't get a big deal than if he does. I'll be, I'll be a little bit surprised if he gets $15 million a year. 
I don't know. Call me crazy. Are we done talking about Le'Veon Bell for forever? Yes. Probably until he's on if he does sign somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Okay, good. In that case, uh, let's talk about for a second um, the the offensive line of Pittsburgh Steelers FC. I'll throw it to you. I mean, I, you know, we can't we can't talk about them enough on this show. Uh, I felt like what they did the last on Thursday was you know, indicative of short week, not a lot of time to prepare, and they just kicked the other they just kicked the other guy's asses. How did you how did you take their performance on Thursday? Very, very good game from Marquise Pouncey and David DeCastro. Good games from Alejandro Villanueva and Steeler. Uh Ramon Foster was actually very good as well. Um they're playing t- together the four out of the five you, it just they can finish each other's sentences. They work. And Feeler's done a very nice job coming in and filling in for Gilbert uh, to the point where if our cap wasn't looking promising over, you know, who's holdout, um, I would consider maybe letting Gilbert go and maybe running with Feeler, but I don't want to even attempt to screw with the nice depth that we have across the offensive line. It's The Steelers either have the best or the second-best offensive line in the NFL, period. People can make an argument for the Saints, and it's interesting. Yeah, matter of fact, that's a you know looking ahead to that game. I feel like that's a it's going to be an interesting measuring stick game for our offensive line and our quarterback, uh, and even our running back who who are going to look at that uh, Saints team and think, you know, we're going to show people who's who's the best unit, you know, or who's the best offense or whatever. I'm feeling that's coming um, somewhere on the schedule if we ever get that far. Uh, Perch, the last thing I was going to say, you know, Carolina came in looking pretty good on offense, and their defense has the reputation, at least, of, uh, you know, being able to play some good football. Was that, a, you know, more on how well the Steelers played, how poorly Carolina played, or the short week, or, you know, some combination? How did you, in your mind, how much credit do you give the Steelers for that win? Yeah, going back to, you know, what we said in the podcast last week, it was, uh, really just uh, styles kind of make the matchups. And, you know, I, I thought the Steelers would win that game and win it handily. You know, if I pick a team, the Steelers to win a game by three points, that's a blowout. I think I pick them to win by four. But the same thing that happened four years ago where the Steelers just physically dominated and the styles make the matchups. And even, you know, Luke Keekley, who I think is one of the best inside linebackers in the game, they just completely uh, physically dominated him and, and everything that, uh, that Carolina has to do. So let's that's the biggest takeaway from the game. And I think this week when they play Jacksonville, it's uh, you know, a team that they don't match up with quite as well. So um, it's just kind of going back to the point that we had before talking about, you know, the coaching and the matchups look around the league now. And it's, it's becoming more and more a coordinator's league. I think the coordinators almost make a bigger difference than a head coach. If you have an elite coordinator, you know, if you have Andy Reid, if you have uh, Sean Payton or McVay, and I think what the Steelers have is Mike Munchak, an offensive line coach, who is elite at what he does and takes the pieces he has and makes them better with than what they are. Like Belichick has done, you know, look at all the pieces he had in New England over the years, taking cast-offs from around the league, putting them together and winning 13 games every single year. It's become a league where these elite coordinators, the guys who just kind of get it a little bit better, are, are, are the guys that you know are kind of taking the teams to the top of the league. So... The Steelers are very fortunate to have Munchak. Um, yeah, you can't get the guy enough credit from, from what he's done. Yeah, that's just like, you know, knock on wood and keep your fingers crossed that he doesn't go anywhere anytime soon. Um, that's, that's for sure. Um, FC, just 
question for the Steelers about the Steelers defense and your take on it. You know, can can you believe that uh, replacing Artie Burns with a guy who's a journeyman, you know, average to below average starting cornerback in the NFL? Can you believe that that's made such a big difference for the Steelers defense? I mean, it's, it seems like that has just settled everything down. <clears throat> I he's definitely outplayed Artie. Or he's definitely I'll play Burns, but you know uh, the, the the linebackers have played better over you know the last three to four weeks. The defensive line has played better. Um, Sean Davis has definitely settled in, you know, to free safety. Um, Troy Emmons or Tremaine Emmons is gaining uh, more you know experiences. He's in there. Um, you also have. Uh, Kid from that we got from Green Bay, uh, Burnett, uh, Morgan, Morgan Burnett, yeah, Morgan Burnett. That you know has returned for the last three weeks. He was rusty and rough at times, but he brings a little more of a mindset, meaning getting guys lined up, communication, everybody being on the same page. So I don't want to take nothing away from Sensabaugh. He's played well, but you know at the same time, the other guys around him, you know. The defense is improving. It's, you know, on the way up, and it continues to be on the way up, and it has to continue trending up because the schedule is now becoming difficult. No, sure. Well, although we thought, you know, we thought some of these games that they just eh. gone through would be, would be bigger or harder, uh, and who knows how it will shake out the rest of the year. But, yeah, I mean, definitely have at least three games the rest of the year that are just, uh, you know, three of the best teams in the league. So that'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I don't know. I want to get to talking about this week's matchup a little bit, Perch. Um, I'll maybe turn the tables on you a little bit. What's the, what's the, uh, what, what, what's the question? What should we be talking about about this week's game? You, you asked the first question. <laughs> oh, I guess I'd start with uh, A.J. Boye. Is he playing in this game or not? And if he does, you know, which bend do we see? The bend that really struggled mightily the first game against the Jags last year or the Ben who kind of came on in the playoff game and, and lit him up. I mean, that to me is, is the biggest thing. It looks like the Jags are getting a little bit healthy finally in their secondary and some of those players are coming back. So that's my concern is, you know, does Ben have a, a, a game against a team he hasn't performed well against uh, with a good secondary and he regresses or does he just go in and step on their throat? That's to me the story of the game. FC, what's your take on that? I agree. Um, if the Steelers, it'll, Go a long way if the Steelers can block up Aubrey Jones, Kalis Campbell, you know, uh, Nguage from Maryland. Um, you know, if, if the Steelers can block him up and, you know, force, you know, seven and eight in the box, I think the passing game will be there. But yeah, it's, you know, AJ Bowie practice limited today. Uh, today. I would figure he's going to start. Um, Jalen Ramsey on the opposite, on the other side, isn't too bad. You know, um, no, pretty, pretty I, good. Yeah, yeah I, I would definitely agree with Perch that uh, you know we're gonna it's, we're gonna go as far as Big Ben takes us. But you know, getting Jacksonville's front blocked and they've had a hard time, tough time with the run this year. If the Steelers can establish a run game, Jacksonville and get a leap, Jacksonville, I think will roll over and play dead. I think the best thing about Jacksonville outside that defense is I'm a big fan of uh, Nate Hackett. Their offensive coordinator, but he just doesn't have you know the bullets to fire. 
Yeah, the thing is, it's a, I mean, the thing that I would caution as far as them rolling over is uh, it's really an elimination game for them. You know, they, if they beat the Steelers, they still have a shot, uh, especially with their division being what it is so tight. Uh, right. it, you know, it, it's like if they lose the Steelers, I think they're, I mean, they're probably already pretty much on the fringes of being out, but this would really solidify it for them. Um, but I'll ask this question um, of you, Perch. I'll turn it back to you or back to me asking questions. Um, you know, do you not think there's, an, there's the Steelers are, seem to be a really emotional team from their coach on down. It felt like in the first game against the Jags last year that, that was the peak of the end of you know Ben Haley relationship. That there was the you know the body language from Ben in that game was, you know I I don't endorse anything that's going on right now, and I'm you know it's the closest I've ever seen him to going through the motions. Even more than when they were playing against Philly, you know, 2008 or whatever, where they were just getting killed. You know, he st- he still seemed to be really trying. And in this in the game first game against the Jags last year, it just looked like emotionally that offense was just not, you know, there was stuff going on behind the scenes that was really affecting their play, especially the quarterback's play. In game number two, once they uh, got behind, then it just became like, you know, screw you, screw you, and we're just going to go out there and, like, you know, uh, let it rip, right? So coming around to this game now with all the stuff that Jalen Ramsey said in the offseason about Ben and the stuff that happened in the two games last year, and Haley moving on. I just look at all those factors. Is it, is it possible that this is a, you know, that the emotions of this game are going to be on Pittsburgh's side, like like piled on top of Jacksonville? That's that's sort of my. That was a very long way of saying, can they ride this emotion over Jacksonville? Yeah, I kind of wish it was still a prime time game because you know like, the team always they get up. They're a big game team. They're they're like you said, they're an emotional team. If they have to go play against some crap three and six team on the road in a game that doesn't matter, that's when they lay the egg, right? So you're kind of worried about that game in Oakland coming up where they're going to overlook that team. There's no real emotional connection there other than, you know, maybe Mark Davis Bryant plays, but I think he's uh, <laughs> I think he's injured right now. But, yeah, it just you would think that their pride would, would be having the uh, the tapes from the two Jags games last year playing on loop in, in, in the uh, practice facility and – and those guys would say, hey, this team knocked us out of the playoffs. They beat us twice last year, and then they went and shit-talked us. And you would think that would happen. But it's also been, you know, a long week. It's almost practically a bye week when you play on a Thursday and don't play again until the next Sunday. And then all the Le'Veon Bell stuff that's happened over the past week. Who knows where the team is emotionally right now. But you would hope they would come out and, and say, hey, we want to bury this team just to send a message. I don't know, see so you buy into that, the, uh, the emotional part of this game? Absolutely. I mean, um, if you Cameron Hayward pretty much is the, the mouthpiece of the defense. He said, "Oh, we're you know." They asked him, you know, right after he's like, "We gotta be locked in on Jacksonville." You know, they took our lunch money last year. Ben said the same thing. I think that uh, I don't think that it's going to be a matter of overlooking the Jaguars this time. All right, so if it's not the emotion, if the emotional part of it's you know on the Steelers' side and it doesn't look like they're going to overlook them, you know the diff- the main thing about especially the playoff game was the Steelers just had no ability to stop Jacksonville from running the football. Sure, um, and they're you know they're they were missing guys last year too. I know they're missing their center done for the year. Done uh, for the year. You know, you know in terms left of that tackle, matchup, in they're, the they're on their third left tackle. You know, he is, might is, be out. 
is who the Steelers have added to their defensive front, is that enough to keep them from being able to just run the football up and down the field and play action to death? Yes. If, if Tuit is healthy-ish, um, an improved Hargrave, um, Jonathan Bostic is an upgrade post-Ryan Chazier over anything that we had last year. LJ Fort does a nice job. So, yeah, I would say that uh, we I don't expect Jacksonville to be able to run the ball. See, it wasn't Jacksonville necessarily only running the ball. They had opportune passing. You know, Keelan Cole made plays. Westbrook made plays against us in both games last year. You know, Blake Bortles actually had decent games. So, you know, um, Hackett, like I said, Nathaniel Hackett, if you know the offensive coordinator from Jacksonville, he must have done something at some point to do something decent. And he really impressed me last year. He impressed me actually in the Jacksonville New England playoff game last year. Um, I believe players let him down. I think he's going to be a head coach in this league. I think he's going to be a pretty damn good one. So I expect Jacksonville to have a good game plan to attack the Steelers' defense. I just don't know if they have the bullets to get it done. Sure. Uh, Perch, uh, one thing I notice is, well, that I've been thinking about is 2018 for the Steelers. Sure seems like the year of the coordinators uh, in the sense that, you know, neither one necessarily started off strong, but between the beginning of the year and now, it feels like you, you can't deny that the changes that they've made in some or, some some of those changes are un, unorthodox and in unorthodox ways. Uh, they made these teams better by using a lot of different personnel and, and, and they, uh, the Steelers right now, I think, are exploiting their depth better than I can ever remember them using depth. Um, to that end, in this game, last week, I guess, uh, Jacksonville struggled to cover the tight ends of Indianapolis, and they used a lot of, like, three and four tight end formations. Are the Steelers going to, uh, you know, have this bust-out game for uh, Xavier Grimble this week? Do you think we'll attack them in a similar way? Yeah, to me, that's the biggest thing. Two biggest things that have changed with the offense with Todd Haley being gone. One, first and foremost, can't say it enough, play calling in the red zone. Same personnel, same guys, play calling, rhythm is so much better. And the execution is better too, but the play calling and the rhythm and, and everything they're doing in the red zone is tenfold better than what they've done in the past. And two, they're not forcing the ball to Antonio Brown in all, ga- all situations, all time, every time. Ben's at his best when he's spreading the ball around everybody. They're using all the weapons. So if they got to go into a game and Brown only gets five targets, so be it. And if Jesse James gets eight targets, so be it. You know, If it's a game where we're throwing to Juju 50 times, so be it. And if it's a game that James Conner needs to catch the ball 12 times, that's fine too. So it's just they're, they're using the person up. They're dictating the matchups, and they say, hey, we think that our tight ends are better than their linebackers. That's where we're going. Our third receiver is better than their third corner. That's where we're going. Hey, we, we think we could dump it off to James Conner, and he can just you know crush these guys. And that's where they go. And that's the two things I've really seen from, from the offensive side that's been a lot better. Secondly, you know, with Keith Butler, and you know, we've all taken turns railing on him a bit over the last couple of years. We've got first or second most sacks in the league uh, over the past two years without a premier pass rusher. I mean, you could say T.J. Watt is a good pass rusher, I guess, mm-hmm. but Bud Dupree's got his issues. Mm-hmm. Cam Hayward's an interior defensive lineman uh, who, you know, he, he does a good job, but we don't have... You know, we don't have a Julius Peppers like we mentioned before. We don't have a Khalil Mack, uh, and we're to be up that high 
says a lot about you know the personnel. We got our inside linebackers are getting a lot of sacks. Little Mike Hilton, the smallest cornerback on the team's got a bunch of sacks, and it's just they're doing a good job of getting matchups and confusing teams and and getting guys free to get those sacks. So you're you're right. I think that the coordinators have done a tenfold better job of than what they had done the first maybe three or four weeks of the season, and more a way better job than we'd given them credit for up to this point. FC, you want to jump in? I think Perch actually, you know, hits <laughs> nail pretty much square on the head. I mean, uh, well, do the, Steelers, do the Steelers attack Jacksonville with uh, a similar approach to what Indianapolis did, or do you feel like no, we don't, we don't have an Eric Ebron. You know, um, it's not the way. We're not going to run a jet sweep for a touchdown in the red zone like the Colts did. You know, uh, although with but, this offensive coordinator, I don't think I'd put anything past him at this point. You know, feel that the, 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 the he threw twice to the fullback on one series. I mean, come on, right? And, and that's that's my point. I mean, um, how about this? Uh, everybody talks about the Steelers' success in the red zone this year. We are the the team, the second fewest attempts of empty in the red zone. And last year, we had the second most attempts of out of empty formations in the red zone. How about that? Yes, somebody figured you know, out. You know, it, it, it's personnel. Yeah. It's uh, a way of playing and viewing how football was played and Todd Ailey and Randy Fickner actually have completely different they run a Fickner's offense is very similar to Todd Haley personnel usage is completely different and um, overall mentality is different um, I, I, I Todd Haley didn't really his play calling at times really didn't make sense and things from Fickner do, do. I mean they're Probably, how about the, uh, real quickly, probably um, you say two throws to the fullback. How about the two guard screen to Roosevelt next, where yeah. they basically pulled out David Craster and Ramon Foster? I've watched football, offensive football, for 35 plus years, and I've never seen something like that in my life, and I loved it. Even though it was a three, <laughs> four yard game, I loved it. Every, NF, every fucking team for the next four or five weeks are going to have to scheme for that because sooner or later that's not going to be Roosevelt Nick's getting the ball. It's going to be Vance McDonald or it's going to be Connor or it could be Juju Smith-Schuster. And sure. that could be a very very dangerous play. Well, you know, I said coming into this uh, season that you know I looked at uh, Fickner's last season as an offensive coordinator back in college Memphis, and, in Memphis. Yep. And the one thing that struck me was, man, he used a ton of uh, personnel he sure. felt like it felt like he used everybody on the roster and got them all touches and figured out a way to like keep it diversified. And I felt like that was the, one of the big strengths that he had there. And the first couple of weeks, it was like he was, you know James Conner like was got ninety seven percent twenty years ago. Everybody yeah, talked about Chad Morris from Clemson in two thousand and ten using tempo. Fickner was using tempo at Memphis in two thousand and two. Fast, 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 fast. It wasn't a Chad Kelly thing. Sure. You know it was. You, high school football to college football, college football to the press is where you see innovation and craziness in offensive schemes and terminology and execution and everything. It starts at the high school level, goes to the college level, and from the college level to the pro level. It's funny as that sounds. High school coaches are willing to take risks. Then, you know, because and then college coaches are willing to take more risks than NFL coaches, it seems. I mean, if I told you Nick Saban was going to be pure spread offense where they throw the ball 65% of the time, if I would have said that five years ago, I would have got laughed at. It is what it is. Yeah. 
Hey, uh, Purchase, quickly before we move on, I, I wanted to give some uh, a shout out to your uh, your fellow there, Ryan Switzer, who seems to have. Uh, I you know it's real easy to argue against him getting more touches earlier in the year, but he's sort of developed into the you know the best case scenario of what you thought he might be. Solid return guy, couple of uh, third down conversions in recent weeks. Um, I, I you know I, we have to give you kudos for that. Uh, you know, at, uh, FC gets his uh, Antonio Brown. You you definitely get your Ryan Switzer. Well, I, I honestly think that he's just scratching the surface of what he could add to the offense. They're trying it so hard to, to you know, kind of keep Juju in that slot position and, and force James Washington uh, to be the outside guy. It just hasn't worked yet. And Switzer, you know, wasn't here for any training camp. He kind of had to catch on on the fly. I think had he had an entire offseason, which he will after the season, this season, and had they used him as the primary slot guy, I think he would be uh, hes a, a massive upgrade over Eli Rogers. And when he came out in the draft a years ago, he said, hey, we need a better version of Eli Rogers to be that third receiver. And that was the guy that, remember, we had our pre-draft podcast, and I stood up and banged the table and said, this is the guy I want, because he does three things well. One, he runs good routes, and get, two, he gets open, and three, once he gets the ball in the open field, he makes people miss. And he's been outstanding. Not once this year have we even considered the possibility or the thought of putting Antonio Brown back to return a punt in a game, right? The thought, I just thought about that this week. I'm like, you know, never once this year have I thought in a game, boy, we really need to put Antonio Brown here because we need a big return. Because Switzer's done a great job. He's had sure hands. He's made people with you know, He's getting an average, you know. Every time he gets the ball, it seems like he makes the first guy miss and picks up 10 or 12 yards. He's not busting 40 or 50 yarders, but he's getting positive yards every time. So I think he's, you know, <laughs> I think he tweeted something out this week to the effect of, man, I sure I'm glad these guys traded for me, and I'm still not in that dumpster fire of Oakland anymore. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me it was just. He tried to ear hole Thomas Davis. That's the thing that, that he most impressed me. He absolutely <laughs> tried to annihilate dirty-ass Thomas Davis in the Carolina game. And he didn't get many plays with three. He probably got maybe 15 offensive plays. But during one of his 15 offensive plays, he took the opportunity to attempt to smooth Thomas Davis. And he gets it out of boy yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's just he's another one of those players like Rosie Nix and like Vance McDonald and like Jesse James that you put him in the game and they're going to make a play here and there. Nobody's expecting that guy. You're, you're worried about James Conner. You're worried about Juju. You're worried about Antonio Brown or, or Ben scrambling and making something crazy happen. Those guys you don't think about. And those guys are good NFL players that can win matchups. And I think him him especially, he's just got that, that elite change of direction quickness that you can't cover. You know, the best slot corners in the league might be able to, to change directions with him. Very few other people are. If you get him matched up on a linebacker or a safety, it's an awful matchup for them. So I just I think he, he's, you know, he's a good asset for the team. No, and if he's playing without thinking, like if he's, you know, adjusted well enough that he's, uh, it's coming slow down for him, uh, I think he does a better job. It's just looked lately like he's doing a better job catching the football, better job uh, getting to where he's supposed to get to and whatever. So, yeah, looking forward to see what might happen. Um, FC, things are going to change a million times between now and the end of uh, the season and the off season going into next year. But uh, I heard an interesting question posed this week, and that was, you know, like, can you remember a time this far into a season where it didn't seem like the Steelers have so many needs? Like, in other words, going into the off season next year, it doesn't feel like they have overwhelming needs any place. They can upgrade places, but right. know, what would you say? And they also have you cap say? space. How about that? I uh, know. It's <laughs> like they have cap space and not that many needs. It's an interesting position to be in. 
They have needs, but they're not glaring. I mean, you're going to have to do something outside linebacker. You know, uh, be nice to pick up another corner. You're going to have to pick up another running back. Where, where we don't have needs is the meat and potatoes positions, which is nice. The offense and defensive line, they probably have inside linebacker covered as much as a lot of us may not want to hear that. It would be nice to maybe add a young kid via the draft, but I think that most of that salary cap money is probably going to be taken care of with extensions. Jesse James, baby. Jesse James getting paid. I I would trade uh, I trade my whole draft for uh, Jalen Smith because I mean to me that's the guy if you're gonna if you're gonna upgrade an inside linebacker that's the guy you want or that type of guy Um, but since that's not Uh, happening you know cornerback is such a massive need Artie Burns is officially bust I mean he's bust city he he, he's got to go um you know, and Joe Hayden is up there in years. I mean, we, we take for granted how good Joe Hayden has played. You know, he had the two years before he came to Pittsburgh, man. He was a dud. He was falling apart. He couldn't stay healthy on the field. Who knows, maybe next year that comes back again. So imagine Joe Hayden not being in the secondary, how awful our corners would be. Yes. They have absolutely have to get a very good starting young corner uh, or a free agent corner, bring somebody in. You know, spend some of that money, and I don't know that there's any of those guys really out there. Um, you know, uh, I think Ronald Darby is going to be like the best free agent corner, and he just got hurt. I think he's out for the year now. So there's there's just not, you know, it's hard to find a corner. So I mean, it, to me, it's almost you know, hey, package some draft picks and maybe go up and get inside yeah. the top fifteen and go get an, an elite corner if you can identify one. But that position still really scares me. Hey, uh, the uh, I think you know I, I agree with you, Perch. I think corner is the number one need uh, because, as you said, you know somebody to upgrade number two corner for now. And if anything, God forbid, should happen to Joe Hagan, I'm knocking on wood right now um, that you'd have a guy that could step in as your uh, you know fill in the number one. Um, that that to me is the number one need. And the thing on offense, I think they could use they just they need a guy with speed. They don't really have a speed guy right now. Um, you know be, whether that's a guy that can be a deep threat on the outside. Or a guy that can, uh, you know, make some make the defense pay attention when he's on the field because he has that kind of speed. Um, we seem to thrive. Antonio Brown, I think, is better when there's a guy on the field that safeties have to at least know they're on the field and pay attention to them a little bit. And there's just that little bit of deviated attention uh, seems to help him. But uh, you know, inside linebacker, it's like a position of the past in a way. You know, it's against this week against Jacksonville. It's going to come more into play than it will for most teams, um, and it feels like they have adequate, you know, depth at that role position right now. Uh, but you're right. You it's know. a subpack. Uh, unless, you, unless you've got no, all those guys <laughs> that can play all three downs. I mean, it's a subpackage league, and you can kind of wave in guys that inside linebacker position. I think. What are the Rams, Saints, and Steelers have in common? They're uh, your three best running teams in the NFL. Inside uh, linebacker is always going to be a need. It's always going to be a need. Always going to be a need. Because no team will ever throw the ball if they can run it for five yards per pop. Yeah, I only, I only meant that a guy that's only a fit in base defense. Let me, you know, to try to qualify what I said. Vince Williams. I, I, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I hate to say it. I mean, he, we blitz him, but he still has a function. Uh, Jonathan Boss is brutal as well. 
but you know, in coverage, I I, I think we could desperately use, need an inside linebacker that can cover someone, a money backer per se. But those guys really just don't seem to last in the NFL from college. Yeah. Well, Orion well, Harris, yeah. you know, from anybody remember him, Green Bay, Vanderbilt, who's going to be a great one. They, yeah, well, not quite quick. Yeah, yeah you can't take the beating in the NFL. I'm sorry, Gut. Yeah, those run-stuffing inside linebackers grow on trees. You can get them cheap. You can get a Vince sure. Williams in the sixth round. You can get a John Bostic for a couple million dollars in free agency. Yes, sir. Those premier linebacker positions now, are, like you said, are those guys that can play three downs, the guys who can run, the Shazier types, the Jalen Smith types who are fast, that can, can stay on the field for the run. And, and, you know, if you play a team like the Jags, you know is going to run it. You can bring that Vince Williams kind of guy on the field who's going to, you know, man up and take on a blocker and stop the run. Uh, and just so many of the teams now just want to spread you out and throw all over the place. You need those faster backers, and that's where the money and the premier draft picks go. Yes, sir. Jelani Tavani from Hawaii. Best <laughs> linebacker in the Mountain West for the last three years. Jelani Tavani, what a great name, man. That's awesome. University of Hawaii. Jelani Tavani. Um, just last thought on this inside linebacker thing. Would you? Would I? You know, it seems like Sean Lee is going to be available. No, he, he, despite his injury history, would you take him? No. That first minimum. year, first year, <laughs> the a, year, the as a Penn you know. State homer, that's still a hard pass, man. He's just. I mean, he get a concussion. <laughs> he get a concussion, bumping his head, getting on and off the airplane. <laughs> he's, you know, he's 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 had a, a tough go of it. The dude's banged his head into. Thousands of running backs, thousands of times, and I, he's just you know a walking injury at this point. Good player, you know, but you're going to have him for seven or eight games a year, and he's going to command a pretty good chunk of change. Okay, I just wanted to throw that out there because I thought he's going to be available. But all right, available is you know availability is the best kind of ability. Just so you guys know. <laughs> um, so let's move on to our illustrious NFL around the league pick segment, brought to us by Mike Pereira, Dean Blandino. Um. I carry whatever his name. He does Monday Night Football. He shouldn't be included in on this. The only reason that he is, he's, he's actually pretty decent. The, the former NFL referee, Monday Night Football, Terry. Terry McAuliffe. There you go. He actually, he's actually pretty decent. And, oh, my goodness, if I ever watch Monday Night Football again, I'm watching it on mute. I cannot put up with Jason Witten's bad. The dude's the, not Bob Papa, but I can't remember his name. His kid's a kicker at Boston College. We get to hear about it twice a week. I can't fucking stand him either. <laughs> and and, and Akeem Talib's mom. <laughs> I think you could just you could just say the whole Monday Night Football announcing crew. That would be yes. That'd be satisfying because man, yeah, that's a impossible to listen to or enjoy. And it's amazing because I was thinking last week watching it uh, the other day watching it that. How the mighty have fallen because there was a time when that was really, man, that was really a thing. They had the best of everything. They had the best coverage, the best cameras, the best announcing team. You know, it's like they could make you interested in tuning in no matter who was playing. And they've, they've really um, lost their luster. Joe Tessitore, that's the guy. There it is. There it is. Yeah. Um, and he's the best of that crew. Wow. <laughs> yeah. so, Lisa Salters is the best of that crew. Actually, you're right. You're right. Lisa Salters is pretty good. But, yeah, that's a, that would be a Monday Night Football. That What they ought to do is have a, um, 
you know, some kind of experimental, this is the, you know, but that'll be the next thing that happens with Monday Night Football. They'll have an experimental uh, do-your-own-broadcast, you know, have your choose-your-own-adventure version of the announcing for, the, for Monday Night Football. So that, that's our, our opening, FC. We'll be in there. Perch, I mean, Perch will be our dandy Don. It'll be great. I won't swear. <laughs> I, I probably will. I'm more likely than I you, I think. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, so, Perch, uh, the excitement uh, this week was that the Rams-Kansas City game got moved from Mexico City because of the turf issues there. And I, I was saying to people that, you know, people the Kansas City, were the, they were the, their fan base and their news station was the one that really turned this into like a fiasco uh, because they were concerned that how could you possibly – Returf, resod an entire field, you know, less than a week before the game, and not have people get injured. And how will you play football on that? And I, I wrote to people on Twitter, and I was like, you know, Kansas City's game against Pittsburgh, they completely resodded the field, you know, from Sunday to Sunday. So I don't know. I felt that that was a sort of much, much to do about nothing, and really sort of yeah. screwed the fans. You're there. right. Go they ahead. do it in Pittsburgh like three times a year. Like, hey, Pitt plays uh, on a Saturday, and before the next Sunday, the field's completely torn up and redone. WPL championship games get played, you know, on a Friday, Saturday, Saturday night, they tear out the field and replace it for, for a Monday night game. I mean, it happens all the time, but I don't Boys, know you're not going to believe this. I actually have an, a funny, but it's not funny, but it's an actual truthful answer on why it wasn't the resodding. What happens is they've rolled that field and they continue to roll that field because it's a soccer stadium to where cleats do not take on those types of services on those soccer fields. And that is my understanding of why. And I got this from Nick Wright, who I'm not a big fan of, Nick Wright and Chris Carter, but he actually like had information, and it actually made a ton of sense that they've rolled that field, and they just continuously roll it because it's soccer. So you get an even flow of the soccer ball across the pitch. I had no idea of any of this. So the NFL spikes, even the three-quarter spikes, won't dig in. If you think of soccer spikes, they're generally like a, a plastic-type molding, and they're about an inch long. And the NFL won't permit that, safety and running and shit like that. So because of how they roll the field, it, the, 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 the spikes will not actually take to the turf. And they've actually had a lot of problems in other stadiums with this. So. Well, sure. I mean, the, 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 everybody was questioning the turf at Wembley. But yeah, I, for the I, exact know, reason of the rolling. But the thing is, though, like, did they, this just felt shady to me. Like, they, they, there are other reasons that they didn't want to play this game because it felt like they knew all these issues that are issues, they knew about these issues a month ago. And to, to not make decisions right. until the last minute, that really, you know, I imagine uh, there are people from Kansas City and maybe other places, I'm not sure anybody flew from Los Angeles, but maybe, that there are people that went to this game, you know, bought tickets for the game and made, you know, planned on their trip to Mexico or that are now... Sol, right. and uh, they, they don't. I don't even think there were tickets transferred, so you could have you could have had tickets for a year for this game, and then you can't get tickets at the Coliseum. You know, it's just like Isn't, doesn't that Azteca sit significantly more than the Coliseum? I know that sounds crazy, but my understanding is this was going to be one of the largest live viewing of a professional of an NFL football game in that stadium, Azteca. I believe it seats like one forty-five. No, I actually, uh, 87,000, but, you know, oh, it's still, I apologize. yeah, it still would be a lot. I'm not sure what the current configuration at the Coliseum, 
how many that sits. I, I think it's, oh, it would sit more than eighty-seven thousand. Well, yeah, I think it sits a hundred when it's when they have those seats open. But I'm not sure sure if they have the end zone one side cut off. I'm not right. sure if it's seating that many these days. But uh, I, just, I just find it ironic that we had to send landscapers from America to Mexico. <laughs> yeah, that's another Spiller Fury headquarters. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Circa CCFC. CC CC Steel Perch. No more vacuuming. Anyway, um, so I don't know. Let's start with Perch. What, who do you like in this game? It's the, sort of the marquee matchup. Uh, I, you know, I, it's uh, it feels like. They're saying it's the latest in the season that two uh, teams with only two combined losses have played uh, since, you know, the Carter administration or whatever. But, uh, you know, how, how do you see this game playing out for uh, between well, the Rams know, and the Chiefs? The way I've looked at it all along is both teams have a crazy good offense, and I think the Rams have a lot more talent on defense. So I was leaning you know, kind of more towards the Rams to win by – you know, four or five points. Uh, Aaron Donald, I think, can maybe be a difference maker. We haven't really seen Mahomes heavily pressured up the middle yet. And I think maybe that's something that kind of gets him off and rattled a bit. But, you know, the Rams have been starting to leak some players now, too. So that they've been trending down a little bit the last few weeks. So it'll be a, it'll be a good game. I, I think the Chiefs, at some point, Mahomes has to hit a wall. He's, he's not going to keep this pace up the entire year. I think maybe this is, this is the week. So I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go. The Rams, 31, Chiefs, 27. FC, what do you think? 45-42 Rams. Um, I think the Rams defense, including Marcus Peters, is fucking brutal, man. They're out. The linebackers are brutal. You give it two more weeks, and Dante Fowler is going to blow up that locker room. And I still, I said it in August, they ain't win a playoff game. But I'll take the Rams this week. Like forty-five, forty-two. I actually have a different take on this game. I think uh, the Kansas City defense uh, has a big thing going on right now, where they have two edge rushers that are—I um, don't know if you want to call them elite—but I'm going to say Justin Houston and Tom Bahali are right now playing, uh, you know, top ten edge rusher in the NFL type level, uh, and I think Houston looks healthy and ready to play again, and uh, Chris Jones is. Doing that same sort of thing, he's you know he's at least uh, offering the kind of thing that uh, we get for, you know we get to see from Cam Hayward. Uh, I th- I think the Rams are going to have a little bit of trouble against this defense because of that edge rush. They're going to have to go little ball, and that's and not no really Cooper what Cup. they do. Yeah, that's not, no Cooper, Cooper Cup. Cup. It's not really what they. It's not really what the Rams are built to do. They're they're built to take that intermediate game and run the football against you. Maybe they can run it a little bit against the Chiefs, and uh, or significantly, uh, you know, significant amount that'll help them open up the passing game a little. But I think this game presents a little challenge for both teams' uh, def- defenses. I mean, both teams' offenses, rather. Uh, you know, the interior pressure of the Rams and the uh, three-headed pressure of Kansas City, I think, is a big factor in this game. And I don't like either of those quarterbacks. I mean, I, I don't think either of those quarterbacks performs as well when they don't have a clean pocket. Let's put it that way. Alec Mahomes is, you know, can do a lot of magic even outside the pocket, but uh, Goff in particular, I think, you know, gets a little messy um, when that comes around. So I, I'm going to say this game's a little lower scoring. I, I like it in the, you know, high 20s, mid 30s range. Uh, and I, I will take Kansas City um, to, to, uh, with the points. 
so I'm gonna I'm gonna say something somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, you know th- 34, 31 uh, Chiefs uh, in this game. So uh, anyway, I think you know Steelers' best interest, of course, for the Chiefs to lose. But you know what are you gonna do? Um, and someday Eric Berry might play for them, and it's gonna get really scary. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, moving on. Um, not that not too much else exciting around the league. By the way, Perch. Can't help but mention that uh, there's you know no New England Patriots game this week, so you won't have to pick them again. But <laughs> you thinking about picking against them the next time they play on the road? Because I might. No. I is it is not. it is it only because they were playing disciples of Bill Belichick and and they had an agreement before the game that the Patriots won't cheat as long as you don't out us? You know, there's something to it. I mean, what happened against the Lions and what happened against the Texans and just. How often do you see Brady, Brady in the past 12 years flustered in the pocket, falling down, get taking a bunch of sacks? I mean, this happened maybe five times, two of those over this year. So, it, 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 you know, yeah, I, I just, I'm hoping that the Steelers can maybe mimic and copy some of that stuff. Maybe, hey, maybe the book's out, and, you know, but Brady has no weapons at all right now. It's just with Gronk out, uh, Edelman, I think, has been in and out. They just, you know, it's it's even more pedestrian than what he usually has to throw to. Yeah. So, even when Gronk was in, he's just not doesn't seem like the same guy. Yeah, he's not the same Gronk he used to be for sure. Yeah. Hey, uh, Perch, how about uh, New Orleans hosting Philadelphia Eagles? The Eagles, it's sort of a, I don't want to call it exactly a must-win game for them, but pretty close. Uh, do they have enough uh, that on on a given day they could beat New Orleans, the hottest team in the NFL right now? I'll tell you what, it is officially – Elimination Sunday in the NFC. I'm going to give you three games for one. Okay. Um, Seahawks and Packers are both four and five or four four and one. Whoever loses that game, that's a Thursday night game, is done. I mean, they're just not climbing back into the playoff picture in the NFC. Falcons Cowboys are both four and five. I think both of those teams are done anyway. But whoever loses that game is officially done. And then the game you mentioned with uh, the Saints and Eagles. The Eagles, it's kind of a must win for them too if they they fall another game under 500. You know, possibly they could still catch the Redskins because they play them twice. But, yeah, you know, the defense doesn't have the teeth that it had last year. Um, you know, Wentz, with the time that he's missed and the injuries he's had, I think this is kind of a little, kind of a transitional year for him where he's going to – he'll do okay. He's going to be a good, solid quarterback this year. I think he'll be kind of back to being himself again next year. So I, it, to me, it's, it's a lot like the Steelers, like 2016, you know, you – go to the Super Bowl and win and have all these expectations for the next year and it just starts badly and you never you know get above really eight and eight so um yeah I'll take the Saints to win and cover and I'll throw you the winners of those other two games since I brought them up I think the uh, Seahawks are playing a little bit better ball and they're at home they beat the Packers uh and cover the two and a half point spread and I think the Falcons put up a big number on the Cowboys and and, and cover the spread too so that's my three for one wow FC what do you think I'll take the Falcons. I'll take the Seahawks as well. And I also, I'm going to take the New Orleans Saints. I think Philadelphia got that Super Bowl, and I think they're done for a while. So uh, I just, Doug Peterson is the type of guy that um, I used to smoke pot with and play in Madden because he just doesn't (laughs) give a fuck. (laughs) Taking on size kick works for me. (laughs) <laughs> he's fun. I mean, he's riverboat gambler. He got himself a championship, so I'm not going to hate on him. But uh, yeah, I think he'll be able to ride the wave of that Super Bowl for another year or two. 
I just don't like a lot about Philadelphia. Yeah, I hear you. Um, that the Green Bay Seattle game. I mean, it just feels like I, I would be really impressed if Aaron Rodgers can figure out a way to rally his team to win in this game. Um, he's, you know, he's been pretty, pretty pedestrian on the road in terms of winning, making plays that win games, not his numbers, but the winning part. Um, and Seattle, you know, of course, always really good at home. And then on top of that, it's a short week, Thursday night game. That, that would be a, that would be one of the more impressive victories of the year if Green Bay were to pull that off. I, I kind of feel like Seattle I think wins Green, that game. Green Bay could be a sleeping giant after they fire fucking McCarthy this offseason because I really like some of the things they've done. They've quickly built that defensive backfield into a strength, you know, with Alexander, with Jackson, uh, T.J. Jones from North Carolina State. And they're not too bad on the front seven. And kind of Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Jones looks like a winner. Yep. The kid when from they South had, Florida last year, Scantling, Devontae Adams. They need they to add, fix their uh, offensive line. Well, when they add Le'Veon Bell, it'll make everything better. <laughs> That's just <laughs> one talk about a, not a good fit. <laughs> well, they have Aaron Jones. They don't even use him. Aaron Jones, had, like, I think he has the um, most yards per carry on first down and the most the, the highest conversion rate on third down, I think, right now, of any running back in the NFL. Uh, and they, they they barely give him any touches. It's weird. Um, anyhow, all right. Uh, I think that's enough around the league because we got a five-star matchup because we're in it. It's your Pittsburgh Steelers traveling to Jacksonville, a place, you know, a team that has never really been an easy pushover team for the Steelers to play, even though Jacksonville is, got, you know, having a down year and uh, been a real disappointment uh, and the Steelers are riding a hot streak. Seems like it could be an interesting game. I'll start with you, FC. I'll take the Steelers 30-13. to 13. Um, I think the Steelers' offense is going to be very efficient. It's going to be they're actually going to play the ball control game. Um, they come up with 30 by three touchdowns and three field goals. That means Boswell doesn't shit the bed, which Perch <laughs> pointed out, which is always a good thing. Um, I don't think Jacksonville has enough offensively. Fourth offensive tackle, fourth left tackle, they're going to be running out there. Uh, they may have to. They may have big problems at left tackle um, because uh, the the kids they have two injuries at left tackle uh, presently. Um, Bowie, if he plays, how close can he possibly be to 100 um, percent? Blake Bortles played two great games against Pittsburgh uh, last year. I don't think he's played another great game since. He actually had one this year statistically. I just don't think that Jacksonville has enough, and I believe the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to really be locked in for this game, considering they got their ass kicked twice last year. Indeed. Perch, how do you how do you see this? Boy, the game just makes me nervous for the simple fact that I think the Jags are a desperate team, that they know that they pretty much at this point need to win out, and uh, it's a home game, and, and they got, you know, uh, I think they easily get up for Steelers games. On the flip side, the Steelers play their best game maybe of the last two years, last week, uh, have had a long week to prepare for this. Like FC said, they lost to this team twice last year and should really be dialed in and focused in. And uh, I'm going to go Steelers 26-20, you know, but we're kind of due for one of those layup, you know, shitty games on the road. So I am nervous about it, but I will take the Steelers to win and cover 26-20. I mean, I'm, I'm really nervous about doing this, but I had just one of those visions that I sometimes have earlier in the week about how this was going to go. And 
even if I'm wrong, I'm going to go with it. Um, I think uh, the Steelers may not play as uh, flawlessly as they did against Carolina on Thursday. Uh, and I do agree with everything that both of you guys said. I do think that Jacksonville, you know, is going to be a little bit desperate. Um, but I, I think the Steelers are going to take them to the woodshed in this game. And like I said, I just feel like the Steelers are just such an emotional team. And I can't remember the last time that they really had it flying uh, and just laid an egg. You know, it's one thing if something un- really unforeseen happens or, or you know, I guess, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that could happen, of a, a, a weird turnover or something like that. Uh, but I, I think the Steelers are going to win big in this game. I like them 41-13. Um, I think that getting to 40 and, uh, you know, I just, it just Ben seems like a guy who's not going to say anything in the public right now about it. But I think Ben and his offensive line and his running back and his team they know exactly word for word what Jalen Ramsey said in the offseason about Ben being pedestrian. And, and He's av- you know, average coming on the heels of what he did to them in the playoff game. Uh, I am looking forward to uh, what, uh, the, what the Steelers' statement, you know, team statement that they make on the field Sunday is in response to that because I think that's all that really needs to be said. Um, but, you know, I, the times when I have really liked the Steelers' big they haven't, you know, necessarily always performed to that level, as you said, Perch. It's always a possibility, but um, I, I like their vibe right now. I like they feel like a team to me. Um, last word, I'll give it to you, Perch. Well, I'll say this: Jags, Broncos, Raiders. Statistically, knowing what we know about the Steelers, they typically blow at least one of those games that they should win. If they don't, they set up really well to be uh, possibly a number two seed and, and get the bye week. So uh, this is the first of those three games. Uh, let's let's hope that they uh, you know learn from mistakes gone by and and, and throttle and bury the Jags, keep their focus and, and keep the win streak alive. Indeed, FC. Um, be the hammer. <laughs> I'm not the nail. Um, I've heard that before somewhere. <laughs> hey, we, it's working. Um, all seriousness, um, I expect Pittsburgh-like weather in Jacksonville this Sunday. Um, not Pittsburgh now, but I expect it to be cold and overcast. Culture down here means anything under 50. We're a bunch of pussies. Uh, I expect uh, Stewards to travel well and just have fun, guys. Be safe. Yeah, I, you, do you expect a lot of Steelers fans in Jacksonville? Because I, I do. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to... As bad as oh, Atlanta. Man, the weather's supposed to be nice on Sunday, 74. I'm just saying. Yeah. Really? I'm fucking freezing my balls <laughs> off down here. It's like 38. <laughs> you have to take my fat ass further south. Indeed. Uh, you know, my final thought is um, people say defense wins championships. You know what I think wins championships? Teams. You know, the, it's not superstars. Or more it's not. It's not, you know, that, that works too. Thanks, man. Um, I've made a deep thought here. Uh, no, the, the defense is great. Superstars are great. Um, putting up points is fantastic. But it feels like, uh, as long as I've been watching the NFL, almost always, you know, you got to be a team that's really together and tight. And the weirdest thing is the, the Le'Veon Bell thing, in a way, feels like it made this team more of a team. They seem, uh, they seem very together, both sides of the football. And uh, let's hope that Thursday carries over for the rest of the season and that uh, we get to enjoy 
the, the benefits of uh, Pittsburgh being a team. You're going to have to beat the whole team to beat them, or as they would say, the whole city. Gentlemen, uh, FC, Steel Perch, everybody at SteelerFury.com. Uh, let's let's uh, enjoy another fantastic Pittsburgh Steelers victory and talk about it afterwards next week. Thank you, gentlemen. Go get them, Steelers. Here we go. Ooh, I'm a It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.